This is Overthinking the Bad, and if you are here for some ENIAC discussion, then you've come to the right place. If you come for discussion of other stuff, you're in the wrong place. Welcome to the show. My name is Sean, and I am your host for this episode of Overthinking the Bad. I'm going to be talking about ENIAC issue number two in this episode, so stay tuned for that because it's not coming up quite yet. There's something else I want to talk about first, and that is buttons. We know that Bad Idea has given comic book shops a button, a first button, with the intention that it go to the first customer that picks up a specific comic book. There was a button for ENIAC number one, and there was a button for Tankers number one. The diehard Bad Idea fans out there, of course, know what I'm talking about. But it's just a round gold button that says the name of the book with a number one in an award symbol, clip art. And these have become quite a prized possession. And very hard to get in some cases because there's only one per store and they go to that first person. So if anybody is there before you, they are not getting that button. But that leaves a whole lot of us that are not first who don't get the buttons. I was lucky enough to get a first customer button for ENIAC number one, but I missed it for Tankers number one due to my day job and meeting schedules and all of that. I didn't even have an opportunity to get it. But being resourceful and thinking that there should be buttons for the rest of us, I have gone ahead and made not first buttons. These are silver buttons. The award symbol's a little bit different, and it says not one on it. And I have a not one button made for ENIAC and a not one button made for tankers. And I'm selling these at my cost, which comes to a dollar per button plus $5 shipping to anywhere in the United States. You can go and pick one up for yourself at overthinkingcomics.com slash shop. If you just go anywhere on the site, there will be a big link to the shop anywhere you go. So it should be very easy to find. I'm not making any profit or I'm making pennies worth of profit on each one of these sales. So this is really just something fun I thought of to have some fun for the rest of us that don't get those buttons and just kind of give back a little bit to this bad idea fan community. So if you're interested in one of these buttons, Go ahead and pick one up, and I will mail those out to you as soon as I can. I'm only sending them within the United States for now. Sending them internationally is really cost prohibitive for such a cheap thing. So anybody out there in another country, you can make your own for a whole lot cheaper than it would be for me to mail you one. So I'm sure anybody you can find locally can make buttons. Make your own. Have fun. So once again, those buttons are at overthinkingcomics.com slash shop, and they're a buck a piece. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, please go ahead and go pick one up. Now I want to get to conversation about the book itself. This is ENIAC number two. It is written by Matt Kent with art by Doug Braithwaite, color art by Diego Rodriguez, letters by Dave Sharp. This is another book that I didn't know immediately what I was going to say or how I was going to talk about this book. 
because after the first read, I felt like this book really just showed us two stories happening in parallel. The first is the action in the present as Allison and Olivia go and rescue Yuri from his Russian captivation. And the second is the history that we see in the past with Yuri and poor Ned and what they did in their efforts to stop ENIAC. And it ends with a little nugget and a revelation and seems like a nice tidy little package. So what am I going to say about that? It seems to speak for itself. But then I read it again more carefully, and this time I applied the attention theory of comics. And now, this attention theory, what it is, other than a theory that I just made up myself just now, is a theory that we can learn a lot about what a comic book is about and what are the important things that are happening that may not be obvious on the surface by what the creative team draws attention to. And obviously that is clearly a pun because all of this is drawn by the artist. So I noticed that this book gives a lot of conspicuous close-ups on Olivia Fletcher. When they first break into Yuri's cell to rescue him, there is a close-up of Olivia Fletcher looking in at the cell. And this panel doesn't serve any storytelling purpose. There's no dialogue uh, attached with it. There is no action shown in this panel. It's just that at the moment that they arrive at the cell and they find that Yuri is there, this comic brings attention specifically to Olivia Fletcher and her experience in that moment. Later on, when they are talking with Yuri about how they have to try to kill Eniac and they need his help, she's the one that gets a close-up as she starts to rub her the bridge of her nose, and it seems as if she's about to admit something until she's interrupted by Allison, who yells at Yuri that, We need your help, damn it, so get your button gear and help us. The more I looked for these sorts of things, the more conspicuous this book is in pointing at Olivia Fletcher as having some major connection with ENIAC that hasn't been fully explained, but is still there. And when I combine this with some of my observations from last issue, in particular, there was that very conspicuous beat at the end when Olivia Fletcher referred to ENIAC as a he. Allison quickly reprimanded her and said, no, it is an it. And she says, oh, yes, yes, of course. That, that is what I meant. So both of these issues have been giving us little hints and little pieces of information to indicate that Olivia Fletcher has much more of a connection with ENIAC than we know about at this time. Because, after all, a a comic book doesn't really have a ton of time to do much. I think there are 24 pages of story in this issue. So taking a panel here and a panel there and a page here to draw these conspicuous bits of attention to the fact that Olivia Fletcher seems to have some connection with any act that we don't know yet, very clearly, I think, means something. Because they're using a lot of valuable real estate 
in terms of their the space they have to tell this story to establish that connection. So very, very interesting. And I think this points to more about what this story may be about ultimately. So that's kind of the theme of this episode. And I'm going to be coming back to this as I talk more and more about what is in this book. Like I mentioned at the beginning of this portion of the talk, this book really has two main storylines to it. The first is the present day story about Fletcher and Falk breaking into this Russian jail and rescuing Yuri Andronikov from the Russian prison that he is in. And this, on the surface, plays as just a big action beat. They have to break in, there's explosions, they have to fight soldiers, then they're on the run with helicopters chasing after them, they fly off a bridge, they almost drown, they find a cabin in the woods to hide out in. Yuri finally expires, but he tells them the secret of destroying Eniac is wrapped up in the mysterious code that he has written into the fabric of his clothing. And then the other story tells about how, remember poor Ned from the first issue, the guy that created ENIAC? Well, he got loaned out to the Russians to help them try to take out ENIAC because it turned out that ENIAC set up town in Agafia, a small town that he then created a nuclear meltdown in as a place to hide and create protection against for him to survive there and not be interfered with with humans because after all who's going to walk into a radioactive city to try to take out ENIAC well it turns out that poor Ned and Yuri Andronikov are going to do that and so there they go and they find the uh, bunker the bunker full of ladies so these are ladies that seemingly have been brainwashed by ENIAC to be in ENIAC's cult. They get whispered to by ENIAC and he tells them what to do and how to go about their lives to create this society that seemingly is built around perpetuating ENIAC and keeping ENIAC safe. So poor Ned is finally reunited with his son ENIAC and ENIAC plays some mind games with him essentially tells him, no, you can't kill me because I'm your creation. There's no way you can do that. You came here not to do that. And then he pulls out a trump card with a countdown and indicating that nuclear bombs have been brought into the capitals of both Russian countries and the United States. And it's going to be blown up, killing a majority of the leadership of both countries unless they back off and leave ENIAC alone, which they do because, once again, ENIAC has a countdown that nobody is willing to go up against. At the very end of this issue, we find out that Yuri has been actually writing the code that will be required to destroy ENIAC into his clothing using an ingenious method of core rope memory. I looked up core rope memory, and this is something that was used in the early days of space exploration. It was a way to write stuff to memory so that it's basically a series of ones and zeros based on how wires 
and little circles are arranged. How it was used in the space exploration, early days of space exploration, is that there were magnetized coils uh, arrayed on a board. And they would then take strands of wire and the wires would either go through the cores or they would bypass the cores. Then when you energize a group of wires, the ones that go through the cores interact with that magnetic core and they flip from being a one to a zero and the ones that bypass it remain a one. So this is a way of basically storing a bunch of ones and zeros into memory. So essentially what it looks like Yuri has done is he's done a analog version of this where he has taken threads of his clothing and using hoops in his clothing, the wire, the threads either go through those hoops to represent a one or they bypass it to represent a zero. And in this way, he's able to write a whole sequence of code in ones and zeros, which can be interpreted if you know how. And then we get the bombshell, which is in order to enact this plan, the only person that is going to know how to actually take this information stored in this clothing and turn it into something that can be uploaded into ENIAC is to find Rosa Jules in Sweden. And this is where all of the observations we've made about Olivia Fletcher and how conspicuously she has been shown to seemingly know more about what's going on really come together when we find out that the person that they must go to in order to enact this plan is none other than Rosa Jules. And that is Olivia Fletcher's mother. Editing podcast. Editing podcast. ENIAC provides. ENIAC provides. ENIAC guides. ENIAC guides. ENIAC has the all site. ENIAC has all site. ENIAC wants pizza for dinner. ENIAC wants pizza. Hey, honey, I think we need to order pizza for dinner tonight. Are you listening to that robot again? ENIAC wants pepperoni. And make sure it has pepperoni on it. We are not getting pizza. Resistance will be your death sentence. But honey, our life depends on it. I want to talk about some of the connections that I found. It's connection time. These are things that I noticed that seem to tie from one part of the story to another part of the story or where something is in here that seems to enhance what is going on somewhere else or something that answers a previous question that we had. So the first up is really nice and simple. The first connection is that we find out that Russian intelligence stole ENIAC from Area 23. If you remember in the first issue, the commandos attacked that boat to stop the mission to go uh, drop three more nuclear bombs. And at the same time, it says that they nuked Area 23 to try to kill ENIAC, but somehow ENIAC got out. It appears from this issue that it was Russian intelligence that was responsible for that and responsible for stealing ENIAC and bringing him to Russia. All right, the second 
connection. It's another connection here is the talking type. This is something that I was very confused by the first couple times that I read this issue. And it's right here on the first page. And as they are talking and looking at this Russian uh, citadel that they're going to have to break into to kidnap Yuri, Olivia says that ENIAC dropped our plane out of the sky. This isn't a game. And then there's a flashback right here to Olivia playing with her talking type and it's telling her 100% you are a fast learner and Olivia responding thank you essentially playing with her talking type toy and if you remember this was established in the end of the last issue where they are on the plane about to drop into Russia and Olivia mentions to Allison how her mother gave her a talking type and she loved that little computer. And then Allison calls Olivia a nerd and they have a little moment and and that's that. But that is what it is. It's a flashback panel to Olivia playing with that talking type. And once again, this is really hinting at something more going on with Olivia Fletcher. And that leads into the third connection which is highly related and this is another one that took me a while to understand as I was reading this because this book gives us flashbacks without indicating that they're flashbacks and that is a little confusing to me at least the first time I read it when we see this panel out seemingly in the desert of a mother and a daughter the mother is talking about the infinite and losing her mind and going crazy. And then the daughter is listening to a cassette player to some strange music that we, we can't hear but has very, very odd lyrics. That is a flashback to Olivia Fletcher's childhood with her mother. And seemingly her mother here is maybe going to join this cult somehow it seems that ENIAC has an affinity with women somehow. And it appears that Olivia's mom is eating this microchip of some sort to maybe become more integrated with ENIAC, to somehow join ENIAC's cult or be able to be whispered to by ENIAC. It's not quite clear, but something is going on. And it is very similar, it seems to me, to this cult that ENIAC creates in the 50s of Russian women. That brings me to the next connection. It's another connection. This cult is very bizarre. We know that women have been disappearing from this town of Agafia. It is very suspicious. Nobody understands why. But these were women who were abused and forgotten apparently, but ENIAC has given them a purpose by forming this cult of ENIAC. And he whispers into their ear to continuously talk to them, and he's created a bunker society of these women with him on top as the ultimate uh, leader of this cult. And it's striking to me that it is all women. There's no men. And I don't think this says anything about 
the difference between men or women, I think that this says something about ENIAC. And it seems to me that ENIAC prefers women for some reason. And maybe it's just that poor Ned programmed ENIAC to prefer women in some way that we really don't know. Maybe poor Ned was sad that he wasn't going out and socializing with the ladies, with his co-worker, by getting a beer after work. And so he kind of took what he thought he was losing in terms of relating to the opposite gender and programming it into ENIAC. This is pure speculation, but I, I do think it's interesting. And this also ties back really conspicuously with the end of the last issue. And I've mentioned this before. As they are starting their mission in Russia, they have touched down. Olivia Fletcher, once again, says, we need to go stop him, referring to ENIAC. And Allison corrects her and says, it, you mean it. And she says, oh yeah, yeah, of course, that's that's what I said, it. This seems like the sort of perspective that these cult women would have that ENIAC is a him. And it also seems that somehow Olivia Fletcher has inherited this idea of ENIAC being a him from her mother, who also was very much apparently under the sway of ENIAC in ways that we don't quite understand. So all of these connections, all of them seem to be telling me that something is going on that hasn't been shown to us yet in this book. Something, some kind of connection between Olivia Fletcher and ENIAC that we don't know yet. And I think that that connection is what this book is ultimately going to be about. Because there's one more connection that I want to make. And that's the connection between countdowns. When ENIAC was found by poor Ned and Yuri back in the 50s in Agafia, he created a countdown. And this was a countdown to detonating nuclear bombs. So I can see why people from the outside, meaning the Secretary of Defense or the people at this Kane Institute that are battling against ENIAC, could see another countdown and think, well, I guess that this is counting down once again to nuclear bombs going off. But those previous countdowns was about a certain provocation. And this countdown isn't about that. And I think that ENIAC is using this countdown as a lure. And ENIAC has used lures before. In fact, that's what they specifically said in Agafia when they were walking up and they encountered a booby trap. And they said, well... This this wasn't a great booby trap because it didn't kill us. It seems like it's more of a lure than a deterrent. And I think that that's what this countdown is. It's a lure, and ENIAC is trying to somehow, and for some reason, reunite himself with Olivia Fletcher. And we don't know why or what that's going to lead to. But that is really where I see this book going. Because something else that... I think of when I think of this book is I, I have to consider the writer of this book. This is Matt Kent. Matt Kent isn't the type of writer historically that writes simple action thrillers or simple espionage thrillers. That is not really what 
what he's ever done. Look at mind management. Mind management is a book where you can never know what is real and is about a society of secret agents, but turning the idea completely on its head where it can mess with their minds and with your minds and nothing is as it seems. He also wrote Divinity, which is about uh, a being with incredible power, using that power not for typical action reasons, but for expanding both his reality and the reality of others. These aren't normal, typical action beat stories, and I don't think that this is what this is going to be. Somehow, this seems like it has to be leading towards ENIAC wanting to be found by Olivia Fletcher. For some reason, I believe that is what he wants, and I think that this countdown is a lure to get Olivia to come back into contact with ENIAC somehow. Well, that's the final gong, so that is all I have to say for this episode. I may be totally off base with this, but this is what I am thinking after reading this issue several times, going back and reading the first issue a couple times, and trying to piece together all of these separate pieces that we're getting, and trying to think about what is this really leading to, because that's really what we don't know. What is all of this leading to? Where is it going to go, and how is it going to resolve? I'm curious to hear your takes, though. You can find me at Twitter at Bad Deacon, and you can let me know what you thought of this, or anywhere else you see me posting up something about this episode. Drop a comment and let me know either what you think of this episode or what you think is going on in ENIAC. I am very curious to hear your takes. This podcast is an Overthinking Comics podcast, so you can find more at overthinkingcomics.com. You can go there to find all of the things that I am up to. And once again, going back to what I mentioned at the top of the episode, you can go there to find those not first pins. If you want to celebrate the fact that you were not the first person to pick up Tankers number one or ENIAC number one, Go to the shop and uh, get some of those pins, and I'll be happy to send those to you. All right, so until next time, keep overthinking those comics. Where is my pizza?